So we must also, uh, we must get our house in order. In many ways, the strength of the Israeli lobby is due to our fractured nature and our weakness. How many Jews are there even in the world? Not that many. And I'm sure if you were to compare the economics of the Jews and the Muslims, we are, we are an ummah globally that probably far supersedes the economic capital of the Jewish community. It has to. You can't have billions versus millions and we don't outstrip them in terms of money. So we have a lot of serious thinking to do and we all have to we all have a part to play here about doing away with this normalized dysfunction. It is not normal throughout our history that we can sit back and watch. And I don't care if they're Muslim or non-Muslim, that the Muslims could sit back and watch people be slaughtered in the thousands. And the only thing we have is there are only we're just completely ajas, weakness. You're listening to the Middle Ground Podcast. Your host, Imam Mark Manley. Welcome to episode 14. The following is actually a talk that I just gave in Fullerton, California on February 25th, 2024 on the topic of Gaza and Palestine, specifically Israeli propaganda and Western hypocrisy. And I apologize in advance, the recording quality isn't 100% the best. I didn't have time to uh, set up the best mics, but I wanted to pass this along because I thought that it would be something that I think we can benefit from thinking about, which is when we think of tackling any issue, whether it's what's going on in Palestine or even what's going on here domestically, we have to think about tackling the normalized dysfunction that is crippling our community. And so I tackle the question of Israeli propaganda and Western hypocrisy by wanting us to look introspectively at ourselves. So I hope you'll enjoy this. Again, you can check out the rest of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or pretty much anywhere else that you get your podcasts. And I'll put a few notes on our Substack, so check that out as well if you want to get a few more notes in reference to uh, how I constructed my talk. I would like to say to Kitab Academy for inviting me to come and speak with my pleasure and honor. So here it is, episode 14. Enjoy. His topic today will be focused on understanding Israeli propaganda and Western hypocrisy. You know, I like to read, or I don't like to read these bios and things like that. Rather, I just like to kind of go off the off the heart, if, if, if I can put it that way and say, I don't see any of the other speakers from earlier in here today, so I'll just go ahead and say this. This is my favorite speaker for the event, mashallah, may Allah preserve me. Okay, let's film it. Yours too? Okay, yours too. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's about to get spice, spicy. Buckle up. Bismillah. Imam Mora. Bismillah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaykum wa ala rasulihi al-kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. So, I've been 
I kind of wonder about the uh, the topic that they gave me here, only because, to be honest, it seems pretty uh, it seems pretty self-explanatory about uh, Israeli propaganda and hypocrisy of the West. So because of that, I was like, all right, is this some sort of like uh, is this like a Scrabble or word in a Wordle or something? I'm I'm I was trying to figure out like how to say something meaningful about that, it was sort of a self-explanatory topic. So I've decided to, actually what I typically do is I like to ask questions when I teach and to break down the topic for us to, to reconsider some things, perhaps in a, in a, in a broader light. Um, and so the first is, the first part of the, t the topic, wherever it is, about uh, Israeli propaganda. and. Not that there's always a reason to do so, but I think sometimes when you when you take an idea and you put it into Arabic, it reveals certain things. Uh, one of my favorites that I like to do with my students at Middle Ground is take popular terms and put them into Arabic and see if they make any sense, like self-love. So if you say in Arabic, it's like it just doesn't work. <laughs> it just sounds wrong completely. Uh, and so I, you know, I asked the question, like, what is propaganda? So first of all, if we look at the Arabic, so if we were to take this word propaganda, and roughly speaking, we would translate it as which of course, uh, there is a relation in the in the root to da'a, right, to call. And so if we want to understand Israeli propaganda, because first off, it's <laughs> it's not a problem for us, it's a problem for our interaction with other people in the society that are being hoodwinked by this. So, you know, for one, I don't really, I don't think anybody in this room is really, uh, under any kind of you know uh, a delusion or illusion about Israeli propaganda, and so what are they doing? They are calling others to them to their cause, and I like to lay things out and and sometimes it's good to look at like well what are their arguments based on? So there's a number of fallacies that we can look at. So the first with Israel with Israeli propaganda, right? The first. Fallacy, there's a logical fallacy, so it, it, which what, it relies upon certain types of evidences and rational arguments. And this is very, very important because obviously we will disagree with them, but that's, that's irrelevant to the broader social argument as how the Zionists, and this, when we say Zionists, we got to really go back and do our due diligence and be students of history because Zionism is really at its root a Christian movement, right? So you're not going to have Zionism as we see it today without the formation of it as an idea that germinates within Christianity. That's why they say there is such a thing as a Christian Zionist and then a Jewish Zionist. And so if we look at that, they are using certain types of arguments. And these are very important for us to understand what it is. So then when we deal with trying to either uh, attack these kinds of arguments or uh, try to counter them in some way, we understand and we know what we're dealing with. So the other, one of those is also what we will call like the emotional, there's various types of emotional appeals 
in Israeli propaganda. So one of them would be what we would call pathos, right? The idea of an emotional appeal which aims to invoke certain kinds of emotions. And it's true, whether we like it as a stereotype or not, whether we're all going to be labeled anti-Semites or not, the facts are the facts that the narrative of Zionism portrays the Jews as victims. And so a core element of Israeli propaganda is indeed to engender emotional response from those who will be the recipients of this propaganda, of this message, to look upon them as they were just minding their business and uh, they were downtrodden, they were abused uh, of their rights, they were attacked for no reason whatsoever. And so part of it is also the emotional appeal of pathos. In addition to that, it also, Israeli propaganda relies heavily upon the Western, Western traditionalism. Right? So there is a certain movement or ideological movement in the West called traditionalism. And in fact, some Muslims uh, are trying to decide whether they want to really be a part of that or not. So you had what we call like the red-pilled Muslims that have fallen in love with the likes of Thomas Sowell and, and, and other kinds of, of thinkers from the West that claim to be from a traditional background. So also what the Israeli Zionist propagandists and their Christian counterparts is that they say, look, Jews belong in the West. Arabs, Muslims, Palestinians do not belong in the West. They are inherently foreign to the Western project, to the Western civil, civilizational project. And therefore, there's also an appeal to tradition to look at these people. They're not one of us and they don't belong. And then we also have what we call either the ad or the argumentum uh, uh, misericordian, which is essentially like the, the appeal to pity, right? Again, which is what we were, we were victims of the Nazis and we've been abused by the Nazis and we had our Holocaust. But then along with that comes where we're the only people that have suffered in history. And so even when you go back to the time where they suffered the Holocaust, nobody talks about the Russians that suffered, you know, many factors more, many fold times more casualties than they did. But the only lives that mattered, that were lost, were Jewish lives. And this is also an integral part of the appeal to pity, is that only Jewish lives matter. And that's why we have seen uh, great success with them in the media of portraying them. And you know, every time that there is a, an Israeli death, whether it's an adult or a child, it will make the front page of the newspaper, or it'll make the six o'clock news, and it will always be referred to directly, pointing to a Palestinian assailant. But when a Palestinian child is murdered, like Hind, when Hind, for instance, was murdered in the, in the car with her family, it's always printed as what child dies in car with other family members, as if they all died of heart disease or old age or other some sort of natural process. And then, and this is not, this list is not meant to be extensive in any way, but these are just some important bullet points that I thought that would help. And then the final one that I will mention is what we call the argumentum baculum or the ad akumun argument, which is the appeal to fear. So once again, they portray themselves as we're no threat to you. 
But the Palestinian and the Arab and the Muslim are inherently a threat to you. And you will find many of these things will dovetail. So again, in Western traditionalism, what is the common phrase that we hear evoked, right? Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian that leaves off white, that other component. They don't mention Muslims being a part of the foundation of Western society, even though they could not have had any of the ideas or the very notion of the, of the classical thinkers, whether it be from the Greeks or those before, they never would have known about them if it wasn't for the Muslims to actually take those ideas and translate them and put them in the vernacular of their language. They never would have known about it, at, no matter how much we go and talk about this. It's what? They're not one of us. So these are some of the things that, that are foundational to propaganda in general. Because what you're trying to call it, this is what we call it, you know, the ayah, it's, it's calling somebody. And then there's just there's what I like to call from back home, right, the politics or the technology that they try to use in doing that. And, and of course, we have to realize that this propaganda is only effective if the audience that they're going to send this propaganda to has not already been primed and inoculated and you could say they already carry the biological marker, so to speak, for these diseases. And that's why it's so effective, particularly on white America. And so I am going to talk about that we cannot separate and we need to have a broader conversation that this, this is, you know, in many ways, Zionism, Christian Zionism, Jewish Zionism, Zionism as a whole is an outgrowth and is the grandchild, it is a descendant of white supremacy, without a doubt. And, and for people that know me, I do not invoke these words very much. I don't really talk much about racism. I, I, I don't talk a whole lot about white supremacy. But nonetheless, absolutely in this moment, if we're going to understand what these things are, this is undoubtedly part of the genealogy of these ideas as they are tied back to white supremacy. And so to give a simple example, I'm going to actually reference something, and this, I'm not trying to distract from the, the Gaza or the Palestinian issue, but rather I want to give you this example to show you that, one, our issue of Palestine and Gaza is not separate in its entirety from the issue of just justice and, and, and equality and uh, morality and other things in the West, right? especially when we're going to get to the part about al-Nifaq uh, al-Gharbi, so-called Western hypocrisy. And so the New York Post, which I already know, like, not like this is really a journal of integrity, but it posted something yesterday or a couple of days ago, but I commented on it yesterday. And it posted what will help you understand how does the Zionist appeal work to, uh, you, you know, to, to other Americans, particularly white Americans. Some, some of us will be just, I don't understand how are people persuaded by Zionist propaganda, it seems so obvious. It seems so blatantly immoral. How is it possible? Well, because it's, it's, it's pulling on the emotional heartstrings of people that already have those ideas deeply embedded in their culture. So what we have to understand is that when we are going to try to tackle the problem of Zionist propaganda, we're actually really tackling the problem of Western mythology. Right, embedded deep in the psychology 
of, of the Westerner, and I do mean, I mean predominantly whites, but it's even in non-whites. Deeply embedded in that is that everybody other than whites are others. And so what we're dealing here with is a violent form of otherism. And so in the New York Post, they posted this article and the outrage about a black single mother, I think she has three kids, who uh, apparently was part of a government-led social program to aid under economically disenfranchised people, a.k.a. the poor. And so she got about 10 or 11 grand from this program, and she took this 10 or 11 grand, and instead of, I don't know, turning her life around or whatever it is that the New York Post or the conservative thinkers thought she should, should have been able to do with a mere $10,000, uh, they said, look, she went and spent it on a vacation in Miami. And so this is meant, they don't even have to say that this was, you know, they, the messaging speaks for itself. And this is what I mean about Israeli propaganda. They just have to say certain things and the target audience, it kind of does its work. It's like a, almost like a kind of AI. You know, it's like a nanobot AI. It just does its own work. They say the works and it works on them. And so, of course, this is a, a, a standard conservative line that what black people or first poor people and doubly so black people and triply so black women are undeserving, full stop. No need to say undeserving of what? They're undeserving. And so for her to take this money from the government and go on vacation, which of course, when you peel back the layer, that's not the entirety of what she did with the funds. But I said, you know what? And I was responding to some of the, the typical, you know, conservative naysayers. Because sometimes I get mislabeled as a conservative. I am absolutely by no means a conservative, and I'm definitely also not a liberal. I'm Muslim, and I'm from Detroit, so it's a, it's a whole entire other thing. And I'm also a Lions fan, so you know I'm, I'm something. I'm a different animal. I'm a hayawan mukhtalaf I'm a whole other animal. And so I said, you know what? I don't care if she took ten grand, fifteen grand. I don't care if she took a hundred grand and went to Miami and went bananas. Good for her. I hope she had a good time. She's probably stressed out like the rest of us. You know, I'm glad. And people were respond. Are you kidding me? I said, you know what? This is the problem I have with you so-called conservatives. One person takes 10 grand and maybe takes a thousand or two of that and goes and you know blows off some steam in Miami as if they're not worthy of having some stress relief. But day and night, the Israeli lobby takes billions and billions and billions of your hard-earned money and sends it abroad to fund wars, to fund killing. I don't care if they funded Disneyland over there. The fact is, they are somehow worthy of this. But one black lady working probably some crummy job with three kids decides to do a little stress relief. And this is a what is what is this? This is the, this is this is propaganda. And this is why I'm giving you this example. And so the people that we are dealing with, because we have to understand, we're not just dealing with the Zionists, we're dealing with the audience and the recipients of Zionism. Just as much as the New York Post can post this stupid article about some woman going to Miami, 
but we won't find anything in the New York Post, in the Wall Street Journal, and any of these publications about how big industry, the military industrial complex, APAC, the Jewish lobby, just basically polytrix, as we say, in its entirety, can siphon billions and trillions of dollars off in its business as usual. But one little old black lady from, from wherever who's just had enough and decides to go and blow off steam for a week, this is a sign of corruption. This, These two stories, what we're talking about Israeli propaganda and what I just told you about the New York Post, these are not dissimilar. These are all part of the same disgusting monster that we are dealing with. And so therefore now we have to come and ask ourselves a question. Have we learned any lessons about our politicking? Because we seem to keep backing the same horse that just doesn't seem like it has any interest in winning this race. Whether that is a liberal politician or a conservative politician, whether that's a Democrat or a Republican. And I'm saying this because we need to ask ourselves some really big questions. As I said, Israeli propaganda is pretty self-explanatory. Western hypocrisy is pretty self-explanatory. The question that needs to be answered for us is what do we as American Muslims, what do we want from America? What are our expectations from America? Do we even have an agenda? And this is where we see, like it or not, our enemies. And yes, we need to get this through our thick skulls. We have, en we have enemies. There are people out there that do not like us, and they are willing to do whatever it takes to inflict bodily harm on us simply for the fact of who we are as Muslim, or whether that is an Arab, even an Arab Christian or a Palestinian. We have to understand we have enemies. And so we need to ask ourselves, what do we want from America? And that's a question that needs to be answered because then we have to ascertain, can America do any of that? Can politics do any of that? Because there are other communities in America, other demographics that actually seem to do quite well. And they have a minimal amount of political participation and affiliation. And when they do participate, it's very self-serving. And it's also very, very, very lockstock. As Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, they are like one row all together, one structure. And so we keep going into this fight. We keep jumping into the ring, going to back this candidate or that candidate. And yet we still have no idea what it is we even want out of America. Two, we don't even know if America is either willing or capable to do any of those things. And if they are not even willing or capable, then what is our plan? So what, we, we tried out the great black hope, Barack Obama, who turned out to just be the drone killer in chief. Then some of us said, well, maybe we should try out uh, Donald Trump. And of course, now he's promising to come back and make life even more miserable for American Muslims. So now we got some idea we're going to back Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West. And, you know, may Allah guide him. He seems to be a very nice, genuine man. But the problem with Cornell West 
is that one, Allah Ta'ala, Allah Alam Fakat, Allah knows best, but he ain't gonna be your president. Okay? Dr. Cornel West is not gonna be your president. You need to understand this. And Uqsum Billah, Wallah Yafaluma Yurid, he ain't gonna be your president. Two, Dr. Cornel West holds some holds some positions and some beliefs that I'm not comfortable with as a Muslim. And so therefore, if we are really about, we have to understand the issue with Palestine and Hazza is one major issue, but it's one of many others. And so we have to go issue by issue by issue and interrogate what do we want from them? What do we want from America domestically? And what do we want from it abroad? And perhaps we should be the community that, that really tries to lead a grassroots movement of doing away with, say, like, term limits. Why we got these people in office? Well, I'm, I'm 51 years old, inshallah, in like a couple more days. Why we got people in office longer than I've been alive? And why has not a single politician ever seemed to solve anything? Part of it is what? The system of politics. The average politician gets in office for one or two terms, max. So they're not thinking about issues that will, uh, will affect society 50 or 100 years down the road. If they get elected, what is their primary preoccupation? Get reelected. And how do they get, do, how do they get reelected? Whatever it takes. And so naturally, they're going to follow the money. And so if we keep jumping upon whatever new candidate comes along, understand the president is not an emperor. Even if Allah Ta'ala wills that Cornell West will become the president of the United States, he's not an emperor. What will he do for us? Nothing. Matter of fact, he'll probably just wind up in the end passing more legislation for LGBTQ. That's, I'm serious. That's probably what he would do. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we want from this country domestically and abroad? And when are we going to put aside our differences and come together? Because we can sit here and argue night and day about the length of pants and the length of beards. That is not going to do anything for one single child that has been murdered in Palestine. That is not going to do anything for one of our grandparents that were shot by a sniper. It's not going to do anything for the entire city of Gaza that has been leveled like something from a Michael Bay movie. And so meanwhile, while we're here debating about this sort of nonsense, our enemy, chief, our chief enemy, number one, Shaitan, doesn't seem apparently to sleep very much. He's always recruiting. And then we get, we get you know, distracted. So we need to also understand, we need to be in this for the long game. That's what I'm saying. Forget about Cornell West. Forget about Donald Trump. What is the 100-year plan for Islam in the United States? What is the 100-year plan even beyond my own my daughter sitting here in the audience? She's 12 years old. I need to think about what is, going, what is our plan for her children, her grandchildren. When I am long gone in the ground and nobody ever heard of no Imam Mark, and I'm a long forgotten member. This needs to be our conversation. What do we want from this country? If we don't understand what we want, we tend to have a, uh, we have a tendency to conflate wants for needs and needs for wants. 
And so it will lead to not only more confusion, but it will just continue to allow these people to act like the, the, the homicidal maniacs. They are unrestrained. Because I can tell you right now, the vast majority of the American public is so deep in drowning in distraction and entertainment and meaningless sexual relationships and drugs and alcohol and doom scrolling that they have purposely, the psyop, they have purposely exhausted the attention span of people and groomed them to where it's like, oh, this is sort of tragic. Just move on to the next thing. So I'm going to end with a verse from Surah Al-Ma'idah that I recite this verse to state, uh, uh, to state a fact, a truth, to give us something to think about, but also to give us, inshallah, a blueprint and a strategy of how we can begin to tackle this issue. In which Qala Azza wa Jal Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Innama Walikumullahu wa Rasuluhu Walladina Amunu Walladina Yukimun Salata wa Yutuna Zakata Wahum Rakiun. Which translates as Your only guardian is Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger and the believers. Those believers that are consistent and maintain the prayer and they give zakah and they are humble in and outside of the prayer. It's that's the last part that I want to emphasize. Because it's interesting that Allah mentions Alladina Yukimun Salah. Well don't you make Rakur in Salah? Why does he mention it outside of the Salah? I'm saying this that a lot of our problems is that we have become people of complacency and in many ways, you know, because I do a lot of counseling at my little musalla in Upland. I do a lot of family counseling. And I see families that have been operating for 10, 20, 30, 40 years with normalized dysfunction. And we as an ummah have a lot of normalized dysfunction. We think it's normal to be like this. We think it's normal that there can be two billion Muslims on the face of the earth. We love to quote these facts. Islam is the fastest growing religion. You know, he introduced me as a convert. I wasn't not a convert. I mean, I've been Muslim longer than I've been non-Muslim. I became Muslim at 18 years old. What does that even matter? And I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, like, why is, why is that important? I mean, if it says Imam, I hope that dude is Muslim. Uh, somebody got a whole bunch of prayers to make up. Uh, seriously, we have a lot of normalized dysfunction. Think we love to talk about there's so many Muslims. Islam is growing in Japan. Islam is growing. You know, yes. And you know what? And despite the fact that there are over two billion Muslims on the face of this earth. Not a single one of us has been able to lift our finger to do a damn thing about Palestine. Allah created human beings weak. But that, there's a difference between There's a difference though between what Allah does and what he wants. Allah creates pigs 
He does not want us to eat them. Allah creates human beings that will brew alcohol. He doesn't want us to drink it. And he created us weak, but does he want us to remain weak is the question. So we must also, we must get our house in order. In many ways, the strength of the Israeli lobby is due to our fractured nature and our weakness. How many Jews are there even in the world? Not that many. And I'm sure if you were to compare the economics of the Jews and the Muslims, we are, we are an ummah globally that probably far supersedes the economic capital of the Jewish community. It has to. You can't have billions versus millions and we don't outstrip them in terms of money. So we have a lot of serious thinking to do and we all have to we all have a part to play here about doing away with this normalized dysfunction. It is not normal throughout our history that we can sit back and watch and I don't care if they're Muslim or non-Muslim that the Muslims could sit back and watch people be slaughtered in the thousands and the only thing we have is there are only we were just completely ajaz weakness no in fact we love to tell the story when the Jews were being persecuted in Europe and we need to remind them and these white Christians we are we never trust me if there if we wanted to get rid of the Jews as one of my teachers said he said man all this stuff about Muslims and Jews he said bro check it Look at, the, look at the history of Islam and Jews. We had multiple opportunities. If we wanted to, we could have, nobody in 2024 would even know what a Jew was. We could have wiped them off of the face of the earth. And I say that because, number one, that's not Islam. Islam is not into wiping anybody off the earth, Jew or non-Jew. It's not what we do. Two, we have a specific tahrim from the Prophet, alayhi about doing anything unethical especially as it comes to taking the life of any of the Ahl al-Kitab. He said, for the one that does so, he will never smell the riha jannah. They will never even smell paradise. So, and I'm doing the typical Imam Muslim thing. And to end, I'm ending about four or five times. So to end, we also have to develop muscularity as a community. We need to start asking tough questions. What do we get from all this inner faith we've been going to for all these years and wanting people to like us versus just giving da'wah? And yes, I have been saying we need to abandon interfaith and just give da'wah. This is my opinion. When I leave here, you can disregard everything I say. I go back to my little place because most of y'all never heard of me. And it's fine. I can go back and disappear to my little corner of the world and just teach Islam and chew bubble gum. And I'm all over So I just go back and teach Islam. If you know that reference, then you know what I'm saying. Um, no, we, 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 we have some serious deep thinking to do. That we, we cannot also tackle this issue if we are conflicted between wanting people to like us and love us or respect us. We just had an incident. I just saw, you probably saw it on Instagram, some masjid somewhere. Some knucklehead came in, walking around the masjid, intimidating the people with his phone. You probably saw this. And guess who was confronting this person that walked into the masjid? 
Did you guys see this video? Alhamdulillah, you don't use your phone. So there's a video of some, I don't know, Zionist white supremacist dude that comes in a masjid here in America somewhere, and he just starts trampling around inside the masjid and talking about bring the hostages back, and he's intimidating the people. And the person addressing this is a woman. And so we love to talk about Men have a rank above women. And I'm saying this is true. We also, we have to get back our masculinity as, as Muslim men that it is unacceptable for you to intimidate our community. Anybody in our, any, anybody around the Muslims should feel safe and secure and know that the Muslims will have their back. Why do you think Islam spread so much in the African-American community? Because the Muslims were where those people were, and they knew the Muslims were upright. They knew they also knew not to mess with the Muslims. See, some of us get real uncomfortable with this, and that's probably why they had me as the last speaker. They can delete this, and I go back and just disappear. But we need to seriously get some backbone. And I'm not not talking about some Rambo stuff here. I'm saying politically, communally, organizationally, right? We need to have a backbone. And we need to stop relying upon others, even if they support us. I'm not saying we can't order people. MashaAllah, Dr. West wants to support them. Alhamdulillah, yes, there are definitely people out there of consciousness. But the Quran also says, right? Don't take them and don't make alliances with them. Make alliances with yourself and then be pragmatic with them. This is the difference. I know we don't like to hear that. Well, that verse, that verse. No, that verse is real. Right? Let's make our own alliances. Let's pool our own resources. And let's make our presence felt far beyond the four-year election cycle. You know, they get us all trumped up every four years like there's going to be some Super Bowl. And then as soon as the candidate is, you know, until there's a next crisis, I'm really going to try to end on this. We must, as a final thing, as I mentioned the verse, right? The only guardian we has, is, <sighs> that we have is Allah, the sunnah of the messenger, alayhi salam, and each other and the righteous amongst us. And so we must come together Instead of the righteousness going to Cornell West, the righteousness come, let's cultivate our own candidate for something or whatever that it is that we're going to do, but let's come together first and let's deal with this, this normalized dysfunction in our community. Until then, Israeli propaganda and Western hypocrisy going to do what it's going to do unabated until we get our house in order. And we all we already know that Allah Ta'ala will not change the condition of a people. I don't even gotta tell you about the verse. So I say this to you earnestly. Do what you can, be that person of change. Go to your masjid, go to your friends, go to your family, do what you can to bring people together and spread this message that we have some important questions to ask. What do we want out of this life here? And then when we determine what we want, and we should make that list for practical reasons as short as we possibly can so that we can actually then get about planning and you know strategizing, not just having tactics, but strategy, so that we can truthfully leave something as a legacy. You know, most of us 
we have lived, I mean, at 51, I've already statistically, Allahu Alam, I've already statistically lived more than half of my life. I've already statistically lived more than half of my life. I would like to do a couple of decent things before I go into the grave. And I think many of us probably have a similar kind of feeling. And let's leave something. Let's leave that. Let's leave our ittihad as our sadaqah jariyah. Let's leave our unity coming together for the subsequent generations as that continuous uh, and unabating charity that will be there as an ajr in the hereafter. You've been listening to the Middle Ground Podcast. That was episode 14. I'm recording this on the go so you can hear a little bit of background noise here. But I hope that you'll leave some feedback and some comments. And inshallah, I hope this episode will spark a little bit of conversation and contemplation and internal reflection again you can check out the notes on our Substack. you can find all the previous episodes there as well as apple podcasts and spotify see you in the next episode assalamualaikum